Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Richmally, and I'm joined today by Alistair Roberts, and or also known as FDR, Fancy Dr. Roberts, and uh, Matthew Lee Anderson. Guys, I'm trying to get that name to, to, to stick, so that I, it's just going to keep happening. FDR will be a thing. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the issue of time time in the Christian life. And, and this is one of those, it's one of those things that we, we said, we're, okay, we're going to talk about time. I immediately thought, Oh shoot. What are we going to talk about? Because who knows what you're talking about when you're talking about time. This is the classic Augustine passage, right? He says in confessions, he says, for what is time? Who can easily and briefly explain it? Who can even comprehend it in thought or put the answer in words? Uh, you know, and he asks, what then is time? If no one asks me, I know what it is. If I wish to explain it to him who asked me, I do not know. Yet I say with confidence that I know that if nothing passed away, there would be no past time. And if nothing were still coming, there would be no future time. And if there were nothing at all, there would be no present time. And he keeps going on and on. And I feel like every time somebody talks about the theology of time, I just think we should just always cut and paste those words into any section of theology. Same is about to talk about time and then just skip it and move on because what the heck is about to happen. So that is a great setup. You have just destroyed the value of anything we could possibly say. It's wonderful. Guys, I didn't know what I, I, that is a setup anticipating your brilliance to dispel the clouds of despair. I might have just provoked. Okay. This is, this is, a, this is setting up the problem. For those of you listening at home, um, I struggle with my, co-hosts greatly like specifically <laughs> and specifically the, the problem is that people are going to spend time listening to us say things that fundamentally we have no idea what they mean because there's no way of meaningfully talking about time that is that is some kind of problem there we go i'm glad you're finally feeling the tension i'm trying to introduce the existential dread <laughs> yes so time in the christian life i mean uh, I guess I'm going to pitch it to Alistair just because he's been the one who's been meditating on these realities, taking time to meditate on these realities recently. Uh, there's so many time puns and they're all going to make it into the show episode. Uh, <laughs> Alistair, <laughs> please lead us in. Thanks, to Derek. The, to the timely discussion. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'll add to the questions and express some of the the various aspects of the problem that we're looking at. So for instance, as Christians, we have to think about the time of this present age, how it relates to the establishment of time, the beginning of time in God's creation, how it relates to the eschaton, the time to come. Um, is that time of different quality? Um, then things like patterns in time. So for instance, the the meter, as it were, or the waves of um, repetition, week after week, um, working and resting, or um, waking and sleeping, evening and morning, um, the different seasons, these different rhythms in time. Then we have the larger structures in time that we see in redemptive history, um, the time that Christ brings in. What does it mean that the, the end has come near in some sense? 
Is that necessarily distance in time? Or is there other ways in which things can be near in time, but not necessarily um, about to occur within a few years? What's the difference between clock time and the time that is spoken about in scripture? What does it mean to redeem the time? And then things such as um, how do we find our place in time? Um, What is the place of memory and hope and these things that give us orientation and a sense of direction. And so I think those are a number of the things that I'm thinking about, along with um, the question of conceptual metaphors and ways to get an avenue into framing um, what time is. So is time best seen as almost objects in succession occurring one after another? Or, as someone I've been looking at in depth, Jeremy Begbie's work, where he suggests that music is a helpful way to think about time. Um, music is an art form that explores time. Um, so he explores it in terms of, for instance, what does it mean to be creatures in time? Often we think about ourselves as primarily in terms of substance and solidity, and then time befalls us um, and we suffer its ravages. But often, we don't truly think of ourselves as temporal beings, that time is very part of our very existence, for instance, that the patterns and seasons of our lives are part of what we are, and that those changes are part of what make us God's creatures, the, um, what it means to be transient, um, and to experience time as something that passes and involves change. So yes, I'll throw that on to Matt. Um, and maybe he can start to give us some answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any answers. Um, but I, in, in fact, I, what I almost want to do is um, start with a question that I think is generally a question that comes at the end of these sorts of things. But I feel like I want to put it at the beginning, um, which is what difference does it make for um, even, even the, the, the particular experience of the believer? Right. To, um, to think of ourselves uh, as being temporal versus, you know, thinking of ourselves as simply substances. Um, presumably, that's got to that's actually make some kind of tangible difference. Um, we're interested in theorizing about time because we think something hangs on, um, something hangs on the theorizing. And I guess I wonder what, what that actually is what it is, um, what sort of different experiences or different type of life we would expect to have based on our respective accounts of time. Does that, does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah, no, it I does. Think, I think part of, part of it is, part of it, if, I, if I'm going to venture something, is um, among the other reasons that we'll probably come up with is, is uh, time is when we act time is when we're acted upon um we, the time you know now is the time you know now now is the time to worship and now is the time to do a million different things um now is when we talk um then that's when we're going to eat uh you know back then that's when i tripped like these the the activity the the importance of time for experiencing and completing action you know action and, and uh, intention these are for us you know they're tensed 
events, right? They, they have a time stamp on them and they require time to enact uh, what, what we're going to do in this life. Um, so there's, there's an element of the purpose. You know, most of the things that we want to be require time to become. Um, there's, there's an element of, of, yeah, the, the purpose and, and activity dimension to time is, is very important, uh, for us, I think. And that's so, so I'm, when you're a kid, when you're a kid, time drags very slow, right? You know, the, the each year, each year, school year is an eternity and summer is you know summer's that 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 eternal shore that we're waiting to get to right and and the new age the new age of sun and not school just doesn't seem to come we just think how long oh lord and when you're six never is when it seems like it actually arrives and then each year summer gets shorter the school year gets shorter and it seems that time speeds up and now the older you are Man, I have no time for anything. Like I thought, I thought you know next Tuesday was going to happen a month from now, but here it here it comes, you know, so fast, so quick. And so now, the timeline of what I'm going to get to do back then it was, you know, what am I going to get to not have to go to school? What am I going to stay around and go? Now it's like, when do I have time to do all the things that I have to do, or, or when you don't have anything to do time again slows down its experiences so that i think is one of the major um i don't know existential dimensions to the importance of time is is the notion of activity and completion and so i mean that's 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 one contender i would throw in the ring for why it's so important for us to that i'd add that um having a sense of a value to transience and time, I think, can combat our common ways of thinking about time as either a necessary evil or some sort of neutral background into which we act. That time itself has meaning and value, that God has established things within time and with a time for different things, and that things occur in the fullness of time, in God's good time. That gives us a greater appreciation of um, our locatedness within patterns in history, within particular moments, and of the cycles, for instance, of the week, that it's not just a background that God set, but it's part of the rhythm of his creation that he wants us to be part of. Um, So, for instance, another thing that um, the example of music gives us, I think, is a sense of Music is the most, perhaps the most insubstantial art. It isn't something that produces a, a lasting painting or something, um, something that's produced in marble, a marble statue or anything like that. Rather, it's something that hangs on the air for a moment and then dies. And there's something about that transience that is necessary for music to be music. If everything was sustained indefinitely, it wouldn't be music. But there's something about beauty within time and in particular moments in time that make music music. And in the same way, um, part of what it means to be creatures is to be, in some sense, radically insubstantial. 
that we are existing upon the faiths of nothingness that God has drawn us forth from. And we're like words on the breath of his spirit um, that will fade away of their own accord, but God is the one that sustains the song. Um, and that sense of our existence, I think, can give us a greater awe of God's power, a greater sense of our finitude, and a greater valuing of time more generally, that, um, and our, the humility but significance of our place within it. I think a further thing that is important... Alistair, let me, let me just jump in there. I mean, one of the things that you said that um, I think it's worth reflecting on, I mean, you use the line from Galatians for the fullness of time. Um, what, what if one of the one of the important aspects, uh, I think, to take up my own question of how we theorize about time is that it, it does... Um, that line, even in and of itself, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, um, suggests that in the divine economy, not all ages are equal, right? That there, are, that there was a certain age that was um, fitted to the sending forth of uh, the son into the world, that it was, there, was a, there was an aptness to that time and um, to, to God's actions. Um, and that has huge, huge, if you, if you accept that, that has enormous um, practical significance, for instance, for ethics, um, because it places you, in one sense, um, your own time, our own day, in reference to that time, and it gives that time a kind of um, a priority and precedence for understanding divine action over our own day. Um, because we do think that there is something that's significant, something that's uh, uh, irreplaceably unique about that context, uh, which is instructive for understanding the person and being of Jesus Christ. And so you can actually, um, there, there's an argument here against a certain sort of progressive unfolding. You know, never, the, the sort of never put a period where God has put a comma. Um, <laughs> Right. That, that that sort of that sort of progressive view of this unfolding revelation of God's self, whoever that is, through time, um, uh, such that there are no differences, such that it's just sort of this endless progression of 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 the cosmos. Um, theorizing about time and, and accepting the fullness of time really really puts a strong challenge to that. I think. Um, I- I will say this. I don't think that it, it necessarily puts a, an absolute challenge to the idea of the unfolding revelation of God in history. It puts a... It shows there's a center. Um, it gives us the proper, um, in a sense, grid or hermeneutic for it. Um, it doesn't have to be an, an undifferent. It shows us it must not be an undifferentiated one, and that there are climaxes. There's a climax. There's a there's a high point. There's a there's a distinct center. Um, the one thing that I do think is very interesting thinking about our own time in that relation is that it's it's really it's really nice to have like in the one sense our time is not the same that time as what came before. We live in the new age. Right, that things have 
changed cosmically. So um, the relativization of our time versus the time that came before Christ is somewhat different because now is the time where the spirit is at work in the church and it's moving forward. And, and so there's, um, you know, we are closer now than, you know, we're closer to that day now than, you know, when you first appeared. That said, it is, it is nice to have our time relativized in terms of like cosmic woe or, or, uh, or health in terms of some of the, the hysteria um, that can happen and can, can catch us up when we go online and we see news events of real, horrific, or just potentially scary uh, happenings, either politically or socially or whatever. And it's very nice to have this time relativized to a certain degree. It is our time. It's the time that God's given us. It's our allotted time. But it's also not the time, you know, not the minute on which everything hangs cosmically. That that time already passed. It, it's, it's achieved. And so that is a wonderful, um, it's wonderful in that sense that sometimes are more important than other times. That that moment is more important than this moment in some certain key ways. So yeah, in the the providence of God, that's, 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 it's, it's great that it's an undifferent, it's a differentiated providence in certain key respects. I think one of the strengths of Begbie's approach, for instance, using the metaphor of music to understand time is that it helps us to appreciate the unity of time and the way that time is not just one thing occurring after another. I think it's very easy for us to think about time as this sort of spatial timeline that's set up and objects of events populate that timeline. So certain areas on the timeline are heavily populated and others are not. Um, And those areas which aren't particularly populated are seen as characterised by an absence of things. But when we think in terms of music, absence in music is not necessarily... Um, what appears to be absence is not necessarily absence. So the silence that occurs in a piece of music is not necessarily an absence. It can be the development of tension that leads, that draws us towards some greater presence that looks for resolution, or it can be the resolution itself, the, what results from a period of resolution. And so I think when we're looking at God's history in that ter- in those terms, it helps us to understand a bit more about how things relate together. So, for instance, when we're reading scripture, what we see again and again are repeated patterns, typology of um, figures that recur like motifs in a piece of music. And those events, I think, are often easy to see as just um, as if they were objects that were similar, similar and we compare them. But when we think of them more musically, what we notice is that God is orchestrating history, that there's a certain music being formed out of history. And whereas our music, our history is, is like, is something that is characterized by dissonance, disjointedness, and by um, discordance, God is forming within our time this musical history, a history that has patterns to it, developing motifs where things arrive in the fullness of time because time is no longer just one thing after another. Time is a unified um, site of beauty and presence and development. And I think that's one of the things that's very helpful, um, particularly thinking about the difference between musical and unmusical time because our time is unmusical. 
whereas God's time has a deep musicality. And so when Christ comes, he's not just coming into this absence, he's coming into this charged time, this time charged by expectation, by promise, by um, original events that set up tensions that need to be resolved. And within that also, he takes certain motifs that are well-developed previously, and he recapitulates these in a way that fulfills them. And so he brings the theme of humanity to its full height. And from that point forward, we're living out of that theme. And so in some ways, it's like this: um, these hints of this um, theme occurring. And then this unaccompanied performance of that theme in its fullness and then gradually these other voices these other instruments are being brought in to join that voice that formerly unaccompanied voice and this theme swells to a greater fullness until finally the whole of the creation resounds with it in many respects that's what redemptive history is like Um, and that musicality i think can give us a sense of time is full and charged and united and something that isn't just a neutral realm that's filled with objects in scattered array. Right. Yeah, what this, is, this is, I was going to say, this is, this is just really quick. Part of why, um, to, obviously Tolkien's creation account in, uh, the Silmarillion is so rich because he, he uses this precise metaphor of the notes and the original creation being um, orchestrated like like some sort of symphony or some sort of great choir, and uh, and then his ability to um, orchestrate even even the discordant notes into one great um, glorious song, and that that actually I think that that sense of time pervades uh pervades his account and pervades um his telling of literature his his literature of middle earth um in a way that is part of what lends its its depth and in a certain sense realism um he has a sense of you know providence takes time and and that it that it is that is is a completion of, of a whole um, in which we stand at a particular moment. Um, so yeah, that, that is part of the beauty of that. Matt, and it, uh, they, uh, say? I mean, in addition to that, Derek, Aslan does the same thing in the magician's nephew. Yeah. He sings the creation yeah. into yeah. existence. Um, if people haven't read the Cimmerillion and that, I mean, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. Um, that, yeah. that, that association between music and temporality and cosmology is, you know, deeply um, Pythagorean in its origins, deeply even uh, Platonic, um, uh, and it's got a long-standing, long-standing tradition of sort of appropriation of that within within theology. I do think um, to, to one thing that Alistair said about the presences and absences. Um, one fun question to uh, ask about music is when you're hearing it, um, how long after the last note plays does the song go on? Um, uh, so if you if you have a uh, if you have a song and it reaches the final note, 
there are always, there are always, um, well, not always, I should say, there are often one or two beats after the song, after the final note sounds, where the audience will be still, and then they'll applaud. Um, and the question is, how long, how long should that be? And the answer to that may be entirely dependent upon um, the performance and, and the, the relationship between the audience and the performers. Um, but whatever happens after that final note is itself part of the, part of the, the actual experience of the music. I do think one of, one of the, one of the interesting questions about time is whether or not we can have a kind of time-based mysticism. Um, so while Alistair has lauded the value of temporality and of thinking of ourselves as intrinsically temporal creatures, um, one uh, sort of long-standing position within uh, theological reflection is that God is eternal and that there is a, um, a grasping of God that can be had that, that in one sense takes us outside of time. Um, the, the best contemporary or modern depiction of this is T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, um, which is an astonishing set of poetry, um, which opens time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. Um, uh, everything that happens points to one end, he says, which is always present. Um, and he develops this kind of temporal mysticism, this ability to actually have moments where we forget our temporality um, because we encounter a kind of reality, a kind of uh, existence that's so full of life, that's so um, powerfully still, that it makes us forget our um, our sort of temporally bound lives for a moment. Um, and I think that's that's the kind of thing that I've always loved and wanted to cultivate, even in my own life, to be able to 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 be just so. Uh, aware of what's happening in one particular moment that I would forget everything else um, is it, is is a is a it's a great gift. And you see you see the desire for this sort of thing through contemporary practices like mindfulness, um, where people are trying to shed their um, their critical inner voices. Um, but also trying to cultivate a kind of deep presence within um, their, their, what they're doing at any given moment. Uh, and I think while, well, while we have to think of ourselves as temporal and um, value the kind of uh, durations that we go through and the calendars and the seasons and all of that, um, all of that provides a kind of um, insight into the content of the eternal that we can grasp and that we're fundamentally ordered to as well. Yeah. You know, this is interesting when I, when I, I remember the first time I thought of um, God's eternity and it was in my, my philosophy class in under, undergrad and we were reading Augustine's confessions and, um, 
and he was talking about God's eternity and how God grasps for all times. And I, that was the first time I ever sat there, sat there and thought a thought about God that maybe sit down for about a half hour and think, oh, oh my goodness, this is a, this is another register. This is another level of, I don't even know what's going on, how that can, what, what that would look like, what that would experience would be like. Um, but there's a, there's a sense in which sanctification and um, being conformed to the image of God um, carries a, in a sense, an analogous um, eternalizing. I don't want to, I want to put it wrongly, but um, that that ability to be here in a moment, and here is not just here is not just um, here is not just a space issue. Here is a time issue as well. It's a place issue. Um, to be in a place and um, not constantly either be looking behind or running ahead, um, you know, with, with either regrets or regrets, you know, running behind all the things I would have changed, all the things I would have done, and then, and then, and then anxiety and worry is, is running ahead to all the things that could go wrong, all the thing, other choices I might, uh, I might make that will destroy and devastate everything you know this, this is this is an anxiety i i've struggled with for a long time it's just the you know the paralyzation that comes like you know hamlet syndrome you know which choice is going to devastate everything uh, which way um something in sanctification something in being conformed to the image of god is an ability to um be where you are in time, in the particular times and places that God has, has set and, and, and appointed for you to live in. Um, and that's, you know, eternality is not supposed to be one of the communicable attributes. But I guess the, the flip side is, is in a sense, an acceptance of, of the acceptance of limits, acceptance of, you know, the, the fact that God has, you know, pinpointed you in time to this place as the place you're supposed to be is an acceptance of, in a sense, his eternality, his ability to have his own fullness of, of time, fullness of life, and then, and then out of all that he is and all that he sees, appoint this for us, and just being here in this moment um, of time. That is something that I think is well worth, well worth cultivating, well worth trying to, to reflect on. Um, and that's the sense I, I think on Matt's point, yeah. I think on Matt's point, um, there is a difference between mindfulness and presence and being here in this moment in time and that sense of quasi-eternity, of being that sense of being everywhere. Um, there, is, there are appropriate occasions where our concentration, our focus, our attention may shrink to this particular moment to the um, bracketing of all others and we have a sense of intense um, transcendence of this particular moment and transcendence is not the same thing again as um, being outside of time but it's the presence of the eternal within time and the encounter of the eternal within this moment in time and I think we can have both of those things together a very strong presence in this moment in time 
can be an encounter with the eternal within time. But it's not a matter of escaping from time. I think one thing that's helpful is to escape from our common ways of thinking of time as a place, site of absence and distance and difference that we're cut off from things by time. Time is something that intermediates between us and other events in a way that prevents us from reaching them. And we have this sense of time as a frustration, this realm that stops us from getting back to this ideal past or getting forward to this hopeful future or something that separates us from loved ones, all these sorts of things, this sense that time is an obstacle to us, a frustration, a burden that's been placed upon us. And yet when we think about time in a more musical way, it doesn't have to be seen or seen that way. And I think in scripture, there's this sense of time. We tend to think of participation in terms of spatial analogies. So we're connected to event we're united to Christ, and we think of that in spatial, more spatial terms. But I think scripture allows for temporal participation, that we are united to Christ in his time. And so it's almost like this, um, for instance, this experience of regularly celebrating, um, memorialising Christ's death, is almost like the effect of this great splash in a lake and the ripples going out from that and hitting you in succession and you're participating in that event and you're connected to it it's something that is real and it's something that you're caught up in even though you are not there at the direct site of the impact it's something that you are part of and i think often our conception of time that is closes off events within their particular moment and time quickly buries them and they're no longer recover to be recovered. That is a mistaken way of thinking about time, at least in biblical terms. It's fallen time. That's what time is like for us as fallen creatures. But yet in God's time, times are made open to each other. The past event is never completely past, but it's an open event with promise that's still being yielded in the present and will be to the future. And so the time of Christ's death, his resurrection, and his coming again are all related to the present time and all have their impact upon the present time, not just through the subjective activities of our remembrance and meditating upon them, but in actual fact, they frame and impact upon our time. And I think that creates a sort of a space for a sort of mysticism that isn't an escaping from time, but is a sense of the transcendent and the eternal within time. Right. But I, um, so I, I don't know what anyone would possibly mean by escaping from time. Um, if, if that means we became disembodied spirits at the mo at that moment. Um, and so we're no longer bound by the structures and rhythms of time. Well, that's clearly not the case, but if we mean something like, um, we forget um, that we are bound by um, these bodies and um, that we have a future that is going to um, reemerge before us, then um, it's, not, it's not clear to me why, um, why we should reject that um, uh, and, and why we should be opposed to that. Like framing it as 
an encounter of, you know, the eternal within time versus, you know, time within the eternal. Um, well, it seems to be six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Um, I think uh, the difference, the, the, the key difference is, is that, right, that we are experiencing this thing that gives us a sense of relief from the actual burden that time is, because, because time is, uh, in fact, a burden for us. It's, 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 a, um, it's a joyful burden, and it's a burden that we've been created to bear, um, but that doesn't also mean that it's not a burden. I think the key difference is that what I'm arguing is that it is necessary for time to exist for us to experience such moments. Um, so time is not time is not an obstacle that we have to have. Time is not an obstacle that we have to be forgetful of or escape in some way, subjectively or otherwise. Rather, it's the very precondition for us experiencing such moments of um, transcendence. Yeah, I think, and I, so, I think, and that's what I think. I, I think there's before. Yeah, I think there's, and, and even in my own kind of ramble there, um, the redemption of time is more what I'm speaking to uh, and hoping for, in a sense, um, the, you know, all time and our experience of it is corrupted like everything else in the fall. And so sanctification involves a an embrace of it and a, and a redemption of it, um, I think, in our experience. Um that that will make us enjoy the goods of truly being temporal uh beings and 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 the, the very good thing that that we exist in this way um and and obviously the, the great affirmation of it is the incarnation of god entering and and, and submitting to time time is time is, is something that god himself um in a sense has human time so yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely the, the positive note of the, of the goodness is there, um, but there is still a need for the redemption of our experience of time, and and I, this is probably too big to 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 broach at the end here, but the experience of time in the eschaton, what that will be like at the end of you know the new creation, um, I I have I have become more convinced that there is you know a in eternal time or something like that but, but for, for the creatures in the new creation there's time um, it is not a it is not a uh, in a sense a just a capped off a capped off reality um, it, we don't we will not experience eternity the way God experiences eternity and I don't even know what that's like obviously but, but there's 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 going to be something that is qualitatively different and I that would be worth reflecting on maybe in a future show so I'm just going to tantalizingly leave that to, there you, to you want to protect from the unknown to be more unknown thing <laughs> The qualitative difference of time is an important thing, I think, because there are experiences of time where we just, time is just duration and things occurring within that duration. And that's what most of our time actually feels like. Um, there's a distinctly unmusical quality to it. But I think also there are times, for instance, when we listen to a piece of music where something occurs within our time that takes time away from us, the time that we're 
used to experiencing. And so a piece of music is not just experienced as pure duration and things occurring within it, but yet there's an elevation, a transfiguration of time, and time becomes a realm of beauty, and also it becomes charged with a presence, and it becomes charged with expectation, with um, tensions, with resolutions, all these sorts of things that do not characterize our normal time. And so within those moments, even though they're occurring within the same sort of temporal realm that we experience all these other things, our time takes on a qualitatively different character. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at, that although our experience of time is often of this, is typically of this unmusical, disordered, discordant, dissonant um, reality, and just events occurring with no rhyme or reason, when we're thinking about God's time and God's activity and the experience that we have of that, it's of something that is profoundly musical, that transfigures our reality. And within that, we encounter something that leads us beyond our present time. And so there is an escape from our experience of time, um, our typical experience of time within a fallen world, to, and also from an imperfect world to reality that's beyond that. And I think also this may be some anticipation to some degree of what is yet to come. Right, but Alistair, so I think we agree. I think the question is, and and Augustine does something similar to this in Confessions, um, is it possible to hear the whole song at once? So one of the joys of listening to music is when you hit the final note of a wonderful symphony, you hear the final note not just as the culmination of all that has come before, but as the, uh, but as a culmination that contains within it everything, mm. right? That it's not just the sequence, but that everything has been folded up within that moment, and that in one sense you hear the entire song uh, just at that point. And I think that's the that's the kind of uh, moment of transcendence of time. So I think we both agree time uh, is required to make possible for us, um, but that, I, that I, I just want to accentuate that is possible and that is worth holding on to, that, there is, that, that when God experiences uh, the music of the song, he enters into experiencing it note by note and measure by measure, um, but he also experiences the whole thing simultaneously. Um, and uh, in his own eternality. He has the simultaneous possession of everlasting life, as, as he used the Boethian depiction of it. And um, the, the moment of timelessness that is available to us as human beings who are um, made in his image and allowed to participate imperfectly in his reality is, has that kind of quality to it in a way that, um, that I think we don't, we don't often experience and it, and it's fundamentally given to us sometimes as a gift, very rare that one can, um, feel, uh, feel one's entire life as, uh, from sort of beginning to end as contained and, and future, uh, as contained in a single moment. Uh, but I think, but I think it has to be possible. Hmm. 
Well, on that note, I think we have to wrap up, and I think it would be appropriate to wrap up on another passage in Augustine uh, in the same chapter, or a different little mini-chapter in the same book of the Confession. See, he, he asks, How then shall I respond to him who asks, What was God doing before he made heaven and earth? I do not answer, as a certain one is reported to have done facetiously, he was preparing hell, he said, for those who pry too deep. It is one thing to see the answer. It is another thing to laugh at the questioner. And I, for, and I for myself, do not answer things thus. And that's where I want to end things today. In the same place that we started with Augustine, questioning how can we speak of time. Mostly just to frustrate Anderson after that very fascinating and wonderful the discussion that, that we had that I found very illuminating. Um, we hope you have found it illuminating as well. Uh, if you have, feel free uh, to share it. Please take the time to share it and, uh, and possibly write us a little review over at iTunes. Um, we might post a couple of these quotes over in the show notes at uh, Your Orthodoxy. But for now, thanks for listening. <laughs>